physics world. A problem shared is a problem halved. For one astrophysicist in the UK, this timeless logic combined with modern technology can bring about a revolution in science. Chris Lintott, a researcher and science communicator at the University of Oxford, is co-founder of the Zooniverse, a web project that enables the general public to play a role in a diverse range of science projects, from planet hunting to spying on penguins. These so-called citizen scientists crunch through large volumes of data, analysing images in ways that computers simply can't replicate. I'm James Dacey, a reporter for Physics World, and I recently caught up with Lintot to find out more about citizen science. I began by asking what motivated him to launch his first citizen science initiative in 2007, a project called Galaxy Zoo. Desperation, mostly, <laughs> to be honest. So we were interested in, I was interested in how stars form in different types of galaxy. And, and when you say types of galaxy, you really mean shapes of galaxy, because the shape of a galaxy tells you about its history. Um, and so that meant finding, being able to classify large numbers of galaxies according to their shapes. And it's a task that um, lots of people had tried to do automatically, but the automatic methods hadn't been accurate enough or they hadn't caught on. And there'd been a student at Oxford, Kevin Schwinski, who's now infamous for having classified 50,000 galaxies. Um, but that wasn't enough for what I wanted to do. We were looking for some rare galaxies. And so we needed to sort through most of a million images that had been supplied by a project called the Sloan Digital Sky Survey. Um, Kevin wasn't very keen, and so we put out a call on the web uh, to come and help, and that was Galaxy Zoo, and, and there was this overwhelming response. It turns out that people believed they could be useful and got very excited about mm. that, and there's something really reassuring that hundreds of thousands of people prepared to give up a small amount of their time just because they wanted to make a contribution to science. As a scientist, I find that kind of humbling and interesting and exciting. It's incredible, yeah. I mean, and what has actually come out of this, scientifically speaking? I mean, what are the results to come out of that particular project? Well, there are loads of galaxy results. From the mainstream bit, the bit using the results where people have classified galaxies, I think, I think one of the most interesting things is that we've sort of dissected the relationship between a galaxy's shape and thus its integrated history. So whether it's merged in the past, whether it's... Uh, interacted with its surroundings from its colour. And the colour of a galaxy tells you about what's going on now. Uh, and so we've discovered that the, the two things can be quite disjoint. Um, and, and that's very interesting. So, so I mean, it, it sounds like this kind of um, citizen science initiative is it's kind of raising new questions that can then be tackled by, by science. I mean, to what extent do you think the people involved in the citizen science actually grappling with these bigger sort of theoretical questions that you're talking about. Yeah, it's, yeah. A, it's a good question. I think for Galaxy Zoo, I think there is a large audience who are engaged with, with these questions. And we went on from Galaxy Zoo to create the Zooniverse, which is a whole collection of projects. And I, the one thing that, that predicts whether a Zooniverse project is going to be successful or not is how clearly you can explain that connection between what you're asking people to do and what the larger issues are. So we did a project called Planet Hunters, which is still live now, where the proposition is look at this data and you might discover a planet. That's very easy to understand. Uh, we did a project called Cyclone Center, which is a slightly more difficult project. But in Cyclone Center, what you're doing is you're looking at historical images of uh, hurricanes to determine their strength, fire classification on quite a complicated scale because the different morphological features tell you about the strength, so that we have a sense of how the historical sense, strength of hurricanes has changed so that we can understand how climate change might have been affecting 
um, storm strength. And that's hugely exciting and interesting and complicated and, and fascinating. Um, but there are a few more steps in understanding that. Hello, listeners. Are you still there? If your mind has started to drift away from this podcast, it might be because you're demonstrating that typically human trait, getting distracted by other things. According to Lintot, this inability to focus on the task at hand has in fact proved to be an incredibly useful thing in the Zooniverse. We also discovered that people were capable of not just doing the task that we set them, but of being distracted using that beautifully human quality of being distracted by interesting and unusual things in all sorts of different directions. And so people um, found unusual objects, unusual things, things that interested them. Galaxy Zoom might be new classes of galaxy or new types of phenomena. In Planet Hunters, it's often behavior of of the stars that people look at themselves. Mm. So ignore the planets. The the star is varying in brightness in an interesting way. uh, Then maybe that's worth looking at. And and so that's been surprising. And there people really are engaged with Mm. the meat of what's going on because it's that... You go immediately from saying, oh, there's something odd here, to go, well, why is it odd? What is odd about it? Um, How do I know it's odd? How does it compare to other things? How many things like it are there? And those are scientific questions. So do you have any stories of people who have kind of got involved through the Zooniverse, but have then gone on to, you know, kind of of have a desire to learn more and then potentially become a professional scientist who does this full time? Yeah, I mean, you have to be slightly careful because we don't want to give the impression that the point of the Zooniverse is to make everyone want to be a professional scientist. For some people, like, five minutes of engagement, five minutes a week, or five minutes spent on that series is enough, and that's fine, and and we'll go to great lengths to make sure that that's useful too. Um, but the majority of the astrophysics DPhil students, the PhD students who started in Oxford last year, had done Galaxy Zoom when they were at school. It can be a way of exposing people to what real science is like. It's very different from what one of my colleagues calls the Hollywood image of science, mm-hmm. in which you know you have a table and a blackboard, and you all sit around, and then suddenly somebody jumps up and says, "Eureka, I've got it!" And then we all run off to Stockholm to get the Nobel Prize. <laughs> the experience is messy. The data is confusing. You need lots of galaxies to understand something. Sometimes. Mm-hmm. You can't make a decision about whether a particular galaxy has a bar or not because it's fuzzy or because it's edge on to us. And I think what we what these projects really do is give people a sense of what that's like. That's one of the things that kind of amazes me. I mean, it's uh, sort of the bigger picture of the projects you're talking about are tackling some really exciting questions. But like you say, the actual tasks right. are often very repetitive. But you've got this huge interest. So yeah. What, 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 what motivates people? What what motivates them is exactly what we're talking about, which is the um, desire to contribute to science. Um, That's what they tell us motivates them, and there's some objective evidence that shows that as well. So that's fascinating, I think. I I, I think this this issue of engaging with the bigger picture that that you're raising comes up a lot when we get criticised by for some of the rhetoric that we use, because we talk about this as citizen science, mm. right? Uh, as a collaborative project. And, and you, one can make the argument perfectly fairly that what we're actually doing is getting these people to do our dirty work for us. You know, <laughs> I'm saying I'm an astronomer. I don't mm. possibly have time to look at my own data. I will hand it over to you guys. You do the routine bit, and then I will write the paper and get the professorship and all the rest of it. Lintot says that so far, over 100 papers have been published by Zooniverse science teams. And there are many more papers that have used data from these projects. But while delighted with the success, Lintot still feels that some aspects could be done better. In particular, he wants to find better ways of communicating the outcomes of these science projects and recognising the work of citizen scientists. I mean, you sort of alluded there to the idea that science is often discussed through papers. And so does this lead to a tension whereby 
you know, all the assistant scientists are involved in collecting the data and even to a certain extent analysing it, um, but are not always getting the credit on, on the papers. Is there anything you're doing to, to address that, that you, gulf? Yeah, we do the easy stuff, which is that every author list on a Zooniverse paper will have a link to uh, the long list of citizen scientists who volunteers. There have been about 100 citizen scientists whose names have been on as full authors, so we give them credit where we can and, and, and as appropriate and, and I think we should do that. We're not publishing in a way that's written for the citizen scientists, we're publishing in a way that furthers, frankly furthers our careers and makes the projects like to get money and which communicates with our professional colleagues. Um, those papers are available but one of the things I've been, been talking about is how to bridge that gap and, and produce outputs that are both scientifically meaningful and of use to the average citizen scientist. Um, it's not clear how to do that. Um, I think also it's not really clear that the citizen scientists en masse value being a name on a paper. That's mm. something that you learn what I, it I is. It, it's something you do as a professional scientist to further your yeah, it's, it's our so, currency, exactly. right? It's how we keep score, mm. essentially. Uh, so, so, maybe, real. so maybe there needs to be another way of acknowledging the work done mm. without necessarily having a name on a paper. Yeah. So in, in, in terms of the you know, the, uh, the Zooniverse as a whole, so it's kind of morphed into this, this, this big, bigger thing, as you say, a collection of projects across the sciences. Mm. How does that work? I mean, are you approached by scientists in these different disciplines, or do you come up with the ideas? Where does it come from? No, uh, be, because people want to contribute to science, it's very important that if you spend your time on a Zooniverse project, somebody's actually going to use that data. And so most of the projects, we've now done about 30 or so projects in everything from counting penguins, Penguin Watch, to um, looking at pathology data from Cell Slider, which is a project with Cancer Research UK. I think uh, most of the time those are scientists who come to us and we say to them not only um, why is this useful, but we say why wouldn't machines be able to do this? And we also say do you have the capacity to make use of the data when it's mm. finished? And I think you should view the universe as a guarantee that your time spent would, would be useful. We're actually going to change that slightly. So we got a, a, a nice grant from Google um, to turn what we do into a platform. So at the minute, you come to us, we build you a project, and then you go away with your data. And by early 2015, there'll be, you'll be able to come along, upload data, um, click some buttons, and at least try out what it would be like to have a Zooniverse project look at your data. And I, I hope that means we'll see a, lot, a greater number of researchers making use of it. I mean, how do the, um, the scientific discussions at the moment among the different people involved, I mean, how, how, how is that facilitated on, on the site? Um, well, we, we spent a lot of time building a discussion forum, um, which sits on most of our sites, so people go very easily from classifying something to say, actually, I found something unusual here. We found some great things that way. We found the only planet in a four-star system through discussion in exactly that way. When it works, it works brilliantly, mm. and we, we've spent a lot of time thinking about how to make that work more often. Because I think that that's the great experience, that you could come in without any interest in science, you could classify something, you could spot something unusual, you could say something about it, you could get drawn into a discussion about what it might be and how to investigate it, and maybe even end up going all the way to, to publishing. I think if we can get people to think that that journey is open to them, then that's the thing that will try and create this transformative change that we've been discussing. Given that we're talking about citizen science, it seemed appropriate that I would also open up my interview to you guys the Physics World audience. So I put a selection of your questions to Lintot. So in the spirit of citizen science, we, um, 
I put this out on our Facebook page as well. And I, Very I, good. I, I, t- I told people that you were, you'd be coming into the office. It is a sort of this. beautifully meta discussion at this point, <laughs> isn't it? But yeah, so, no, so what questions do you have? Uh, so yeah, I got two or three questions that, that, that came in. So a couple of people. So Miruna Jordan and Azin Imagina. I'm not sure if that's, that's his real name. Uh, well, you know, what inspired you to, to get into astrophysics in the first place? It, it was exactly the same as our citizen scientists, I think. It was the sense that I could do something real. I was a, a small kid with a telescope, essentially, in a school with an observatory. Um, and what blew my mind at the age of 12 was that I had the keys to this observatory, which had an enormous telescope in, in it, and to which pizza could be delivered, both of which appealed at the time. Um, and we could tr- it was just about a big enough telescope that it was plausible that we could do something real with it and, and so myself and a group of friends set out to do that we didn't do anything of any worth whatsoever <laughs> um, we mostly took pictures of jupiter and the orion nebula but that was why it was the fact that, that i felt that it was a, it was real and that there was something that could be discovered um and and so i think that's very similar and i, I suspect that's at the root of why i'm engaged in citizen science because i want to give people that experience as well that that sense that you don't have to have the 10 years of education to make mm-hmm. a, you know, a contribution. So, so that's where my interest came from. Okay, so Tobias Coppitz wants to know, what do you think about multiverse theory? This, this idea that there's um, many, many parallel universes out mm. there. Well, it's very attractive superficially, I think, um, because it explains a lot of the features of our universe. You, can, you, you get an instant pass. If you're a card-carrying multiverse believer, then you have essentially solved physics. Because you can, if you really believe in the multiverse, every time you come across something in our universe that you don't understand, like, for example, um, the fact that um, gravity is the strength that it is, or the fact that we live in a time where this acceleration of the universe has started but not finished, you just say, oh, well, we just happen to end up in in a version of the multiverse a universe within the multiverse that where that's true um and and that's my problem so that's the great advantage of it and that's my problem with it as well so my problem with it is that i don't think you know when to play that card because if you obviously if you play all the time you'll be wrong most of the time because you would have used it to explain why the earth was the center of the universe you would have used it to explain why there was only one galaxy you would have used it to explain um, why the Milky Way was the centre of the universe. You would have been wrong every time. And so it's an interesting idea. It's got strong theoretical backing, but I don't know what to do with it as a practical physicist. It seems to be more like a philosophical decision. So on that mind-bending note, my time with Lintart came to an end. If you want to find out more about these citizen science projects, take a look at the website, zooniverse.org. Also in the January 2015 issue of Physics World, we have a special feature about another citizen science initiative, the launch of two smartphone apps that allow the public to join in the hunt for ultra-high-energy cosmic rays. To find out how to access that issue of the magazine, please check out physicsworld.com. Well, thanks for joining me today, and we'll be back again in February with the next instalment of this podcast series. Until then, goodbye. Physics World